You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 19 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Good, Brendan. How are you? I'm really good, man. I've uh, been waiting for this episode pretty much since we started. Um, mm-hmm. So this is our kind of official mailbag episode. An episode consisted entirely of questions submitted by you, um, the listeners. We had over 90 questions, which is just incredible to think. And yeah, I'm excited. I've wanted to kind of do one of these, you know, not totally free form, but more free form, you know, question oriented podcasts and just switch it up. And I'm super happy with the turnout. Yep. I'm excited for it too. I think it's gonna be really cool. There's some really awesome questions that have come in. Awesome. Well, Hayden, as always, get me started off with your, your week in flesh and blood. Yep. Uh, my week in flesh and blood looked very similar to my last few weeks in flesh and blood. Um, just quite a bit of testing. Uh, I actually played, I did play two armories last week instead of my, my usual customary one armory. Um, so I played uh, a couple of Blitz, Blitz armories, which is nice. And then, yeah, just testing, just, um, you know, another, someone on the opposite side of the mic to me, uh, I guess, virtually, <laughs> had an, another event. And uh, I think maybe you should talk about that event that we were sort of, I guess, doing some last minute prep for. Yep. So on Saturday, I drove up to Edmond, Oklahoma, which is about three hours north of me. And there was a 52-player Road to Nationals event um, at a store called Edmund Unplugged. Quick shout-out to that store because it is actually the coolest game store that I've ever been to in my entire life. It uh, It's also a bar, um, and they serve food as well, but the kind of layout of the store was very like lounge-esque. Their entire, the entire like wall, it was a very, very big store, by the way, was just like one long couch. Um, and there was so much room and it was just, it was an awesome experience. I've just never been to anything like that. Like I've been to kind of these like pseudo card stores slash bars, but this was very much like a card and gaming store that had like a full service kind of food and drink with it and like lounge kind of feel. So that was awesome. And obviously the event was fantastic. Um, I was super happy to kind of get back out there and redeem my loss. I got 10th on Bravo the week before. So I brought the Shane up um, this weekend. I was able to take first. I actually kind of got into top eight on my skinny chin chin. Barely got, I don't even, I don't even know. I had to be like a five percenter, just totally random. I think my opponents did really well. My opponents from Swiss, because I was almost certain that I was uh, ninth or 10th and I squeaked in a top eight, um, ran the gauntlet and took home the win, which was, it was good. It felt nice. It felt good to get another win. Um, so currently, 100% win ratio on the chain that I bring, <laughs> the chain that we brought to the road to nationals. But yeah, it's a good deck and a really, really good experience. I know we don't, I don't want to go too deep into it on this episode, but I do want to shout out some people that I, that I met there. Um, one kind of notable experience was a guy named Zach Bunn. Um, I think that, I don't know if they co-own it or whatever, but he is the CEO of team covenant, but I met him the weekend before and I met him again at that event, as well as his brother, Tim. And I mean, just huge shout out to that guy. It's just, just such a such a good personality in the game. The guy is extremely humble, all about competing, just has like a very, you know, kind of pure competitive spirit is there to win um, and win in like, you know, an awesome way, we win fair games and just have a good time, but focus on being competitive. And I think that's just a really, like to me, 
And it just brings a little bit of warmth to my heart to see people out there that are content creators that are, you know, successful and they come out and they, you know, there's like, there's no ego and they're hundred percent focused on being the best that they possibly can. And I think that that that's awesome for the game. Like there's going to, you know, leads to better content and just, you know, growing the community in organic ways. So, I mean, that was honestly like one of my favorite experiences was meeting him and his brother as well. His brother wins 6-0 in Swiss Ooh. and I played him in the quarters. Um, both Zach and his brother Tim lost in the quarters, unfortunately, so just barely missing out on that top four. But I was just really impressed uh, by their yeah. demeanor and the way to play. And a lot of my, a lot of the other people that, you know, it's obviously it's Oklahoma, so I knew a lot of these people, um, just general people in the South, a lot of people from online skirmish. It was awesome to kind of meet them in person. Um, just a great event. So I, I had a really good time. And if you, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but Edmond, Oklahoma, like I've been to Oklahoma, I've been to OU, the university. Uh, my brother actually goes there. And I wasn't like too impressed, but Edmond, Oklahoma is probably like one of the coolest towns in the South. Like it reminded me of like Austin, Texas. It's just like this cute little town, like all these really nice restaurants and shops. And there was obviously the car shop. And yeah, it was awesome. I just totally wasn't expecting it and had a way better experience than um, you know, I planned to have going in. That's so cool. Yeah, I um I love those kind of things. It's awesome hearing about, you know, Zach and, and his brother doing doing well and Tim Covenant is such a I love what those guys do. Um, you know, I, I tune into some of their streams once in a while and think um, you know, their passion for games and, and trying to build communities is is pretty wicked. So it's really cool to hear and, you know, good that you had such a, you know, nice experience over the weekend. I think that's one of the most important things about um going to these events and traveling is you know you want to be having good experiences so uh, yeah and yeah cool congratulations yeah i mean it was uh i mean zach beat me in swiss i think that him doing so well in swiss is why i got in the top eight <laughs> by some who knows what breaker but yeah and on bravo as well so a matchup that i probably haven't lost in like a few months even in testing um played a gentleman's game of bravo uh, you know, tit for tat, mid range kind of race. I think that he had ruled out that the fatigue was not the way to go. Um, and we played a gentleman's game of flesh and blood, and I came out, I came out the loser, but uh, happily was able to, you know, kind of run the gauntlet in top eight and get back my glory. But mm. yeah, really impressed and just great event. Huge shout out to all my opponents, awesome guys up there in Oklahoma. Um, I think the Kadachi for Three podcasts, I think all of them are located up there. So it was awesome meeting them as well. But yeah, as you can tell, I had a I had a pretty good weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you won at the end of the day, so you can't be can't be too sad about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's there's like a you know, it's more about the experience at this point. I've won a road to nationals, I got my invites. So the fact that I get to go to a tournament, um, experience like a a high competitive level and meet a bunch of cool people, meet all these people that I've known about or have met online and finally meet them in person is um to be honest, it's phenomenal. And everybody who comes up to me and, you know, says ni nice things about the podcast, uh, I can't really put into words how much that, that means to me and both Hayden, who I relay it back to. So yeah. really appreciate the good feedback, especially in person. It's been awesome. But Hayden, enough about, <laughs> enough about my event. I've been rambling a bit. Take us into the news. Got some exciting stuff this week. Yeah, definitely. So um, on fabtcg.com this week, they did put up all the... Um, Day, uh, sorry, the, the locations for the Tales of Aria pre-release. So that's happening the weekend of the 17th September, which is, you know, coming around really quickly. So that's super exciting. Um, if you want to try and find a location close to you, you know, if you haven't seen it, um, you know, I guess on Facebook or wherever you might search for your events, you can just go to fabtcg.com, use the, the, the locator um, and find a pre-release near you. It looks like, you know, way more pre-releases this time around than 
uh, we have with Monarch with limited products. So yeah, I think just super exciting that looks like anyone who wants to play a pre-release is probably going to be able to play a pre-release, you know, um, local circumstances allowing. Um, wanted to shout out as well. Uh, got a little, little wee package in the mail this week, Brendan, um, <laughs> from Legend Story Studios. Uh, people might have already seen these floating around on the internet, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and Discord and, and whatnot. But um, LSS did send out, you know, what they're calling like a content creator pack to, uh, you know, basically a bunch of content creators, funnily enough, um, which has some really cool promos in it. Uh, there's these like what are they called? You know, like full art foil um, hero yeah, protections. Full art. Yeah, full art. Sorry, they're extended art heralds. Um, herald of protection, the entire pitch, uh, kind of pitch cycle. Yep. And then you got a few play mats as well, right? Uh, our play mat, yeah. There's a hero of protection play mat as well. Mat. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna be giving those away, of course, to our listeners and viewers. Um, I think we'll talk about that on uh, time in the round this week. So you know, if you want to jump in and and get on some of these promos uh, being into win, then um, check out time in the round this week. We'll, uh, we'll talk about how to how to get your hands on some of those. But yeah, very exciting. And, you know, as I said, Tales of Aria coming out very soon. Spoiler season or preview season starts in just two weeks. And, of course, Brent, we have a, a really exciting spoiler. Well, actually, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm assuming it's an exciting spoiler. Um, our, ours is going to be on the uh, 3rd, September the 3rd, is our, our preview. So we'll be um, putting that up. I think that's in New Zealand time, uh, I'm pretty sure. So to the third which would be second in um in the US. Yeah, it depends how important the spoiler is. Usually the more important it is, the more narrow the time frame is. So hopefully you get one with a super narrow time frame and we can well, give you the exact time. But uh they've given it to me, Brendan, so you know it's gonna be important. Ah, true, true, true. It is sleep dart it is sleep dart two They like they wanted to get back at us for us dogging on Ranger on the podcast, but uh yeah, we'll see. It does. It actually, like, I'm not even kidding. It does look like it's going to be a ranger, <laughs> a ranger spoiler, or a uh, a generic, which I'm all for. Like, don't get me wrong, I love me some ranger. Uh, like I say, I've said it a million times. It's the hardest deck in Flesh and Blood. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Well, I might have another one for you. <laughs> mm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So we got a spoiler. Of course, we'll we'll work out how we we'll either just do it in one of our episodes if it fits in time wise. Otherwise, we'll definitely pop a video and share that and um yeah i'm super excited to see you know what this year has to bring uh we'll be on i guess september 3rd's day three right because i'll spoil the start on september the first so yeah look i can't wait to to see what tales of aria has in store for us but anyway brendan moving on last week we talked about uh our patreon that we are launching and you know as of this episode going up our patreon has launched so you can go to patreon.com uh forward slash arsenal pass um, and you can see our Patreon there. So really excited that you've had this in the works for a while and we're launching it now. Um, you know, if you are looking to, I guess, get access to additional content, you know, we've got a, an extra monthly podcast that goes up on our Patreon. Uh, the first one that'll be coming next week. We've got uh, deck guides as well. So, you know, a place that we can upload a bit more in-depth deck guides um, that works in a format for us, I think, which is really cool. Uh, Brennan's Bravo deck guides are gonna be up there uh very soon on our patreon um plus you know you can go and see all, all the i guess all the tiers that are on there but yeah just really excited that there's a way for us to i guess what we're doing on the arsenal pass channel with the podcast and with youtube is something that we we want to stay committed to uh, but this allows us to put out some of that other content that's not digital it's uh you know a bit more more old school so yeah yeah it's all about kind of getting into the nitty-gritty right we, even i know we do kind of do these these class deep dives but we always stay like pretty high level um, we don't talk about, you know, 
all the little intricacies in every single matchup and every single sideboard guide and all this kind of stuff that if you have that, and of course, if you practice, I'm never going to, I'm never going to tell you that I'm going to sell you the one way to win without putting in hard work. <laughs> so you have to work. practice, but, but having those guides and having, you know, kind of some, maybe some quick tips on things you need to keep in mind for those matchups can really take a lot of, you know, a lot of the front end work that you might have to put in, in the beginning and help, you know, kind of jumpstart your way to becoming an expert on the decks. So we're we're going to put in a lot of work on those guides. And I think that they'll, they'll provide a lot of value to people that want to play those decks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ren's already worked on his first one. Um, but yeah, you know, if you, if you do want to support the show in any way, then we really appreciate it. And it helps us to continue doing what we're doing. And um, yeah, I think we have some really big plans for the channel and the future of Arsenal Pass as well. Uh, so this is just another way that we can we can help drive that and um, yeah look, looking forward to it. But anyway, Brendan, let's uh, let's move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to shout out our videos on YouTube. So we had a Bolton versus Shane video go up on YouTube. Uh, let us know what you think of the new thumbnail. We got to spice a little new thumbnail. We're we're officially <laughs> YouTubers now. <laughs> we did actually hit one thousand subscribers. I think this past weekend, which was incredible. Um, just a crazy feat for us to achieve considering we started this about five months ago and youtube was something we didn't even really consider doing it was kind of just a place we uploaded to make this podcast easier to listen to um and you can see how much that's changed now so now we do consistently up to uh, upload to youtube both deck guides um gameplay all that good stuff uh a few little clickbait titles sprinkled in uh, <laughs> just kidding we're not <laughs> we're not so bad with it we keep we keep it classy still but yeah um the youtube has been going crazy i think we're already i mean by the time this goes up we'll be creeping up to the you know 1.4 1.5 which is incredible i mean it's growing almost exponentially at this point so a huge shout out to all of you that have been you know kind of consuming our youtube content and shooting us that subscription it means a lot uh yeah. but yeah yeah, thank, um, thank you so much to you know everyone. I was just gonna say like with the, yeah. the the reason you know I guess the reason that we do this is to put out there information that's helpful. Like and if you know I guess if it wasn't people probably wouldn't jump on board. So I'm glad that you know and I, I love it. We saw it in some of our comments this week, which again thank you for all the questions. Um, you know uh, I yeah just some really great questions out there that came from that and some really cool um info about some of the the listeners to the pod who um, have done really well on their road to nationals which is awesome to see mm-hmm. all right so uh, i was gonna say so pack on the short shorts because uh <laughs> we're heading out into the sun for oh wait it's an entire episode demand <laughs> sorry dedicated to the command and cookout so yeah like i said an entire episode de- you know, devoted to questions submitted by you um the listeners and without further ado, Hayden, let's just crack right into it, because I know we got we got 92. Obviously, if we miss your question, we do apologize. We cannot get through them all, so we're going to try to pick a few yeah. um, and get some interesting ones. Yeah, I'll give you some background, Brendan. First of all, uh, you know, this is this is vacation. We're not just going down to the beach for, for the day. We're on vacation. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of barbecuing, a lot of grilling this episode, so... Yeah, we've got, we got a number of questions. Thank you again to everyone who sent in, you know, or posted their question. Um, got a few on email as well. Um, we do have a lot of questions. So what I'm going to do, Brendan, is I actually went through these questions um, the other day, and I broke these out into some sections. There's, some, I think, some really cool themes coming through in the questions that were asked this week. I think there's about six different themes. So I've kind of put these into different sections. We're going to try and go through as many of them as we can. Uh, I don't. We're not going to be able to get through all of them today. But uh, everyone who did submit a question is into the draw to win the Coldfall Anathos, which we'll um, announce at the end. Uh, a really cool question, I think, uh, that Anathos is going to. 
And anything we don't answer, we will either directly reply to you on the YouTube or we will um, grab these questions. Maybe we'll put this into an overflow episode somewhere or something. Because um, to be honest, all these questions uh, are awesome. And there's some That's real great, good, great yeah, time in the round material. <laughs> <laughs> there's some really good thought provokers uh, for Brendan, especially as well. So, yeah, Brendan, I'm just going to jump straight into it. The first section we've got is I'm calling these the fun questions. Uh, so I've just grouped these all together. And the first one I'm going to throw out to you is uh, this is a question for Brendan. So, and this comes from Master Jono, and he says, how many Roach Nationals wins will it take for Brendan to ascend to Super Saiyan 2? Super Saiyan 2. So um, I guess I'll go ahead and kind of spoil something that's not exciting at all, but I'm actually going to probably dye my hair white for Vegas. So the whole hair dye thing, obviously I wasn't even supposed to do it, but it's kind of funny. After going to these events in person, like because we do Arsenal Pass and do these things like with the podcast and on YouTube, it's kind of nice to like easily stick out where I'm just like, oh, I'm like the the dude with the bleached blonde hair, like the, <laughs> the weirdo in the in the corner. So I don't know. I think it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I don't mind it at all. I think it looks fine. Um, I might just go even more, even more on that brighter spectrum. Just go white for Vegas. Be really easy to see. You can spot me out through yeah. thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it does help since you are on the shorter end of the uh, height spectrum. People will be able to see you, even though you might be around chest height. So that does help. People recognize who you are, Brendan. And, and also, you can really tell Brendan's really back into this. You know, I didn't want to do the hair dye, but uh, Brendan's loving it. So, God, I want to do it for years. I just need an excuse. <laughs> and Hayden just gave me that. <laughs> uh, good All right, question. Hayden. Yeah, another question. Yeah, here. well. From the, the of love one. If Brendan slaps his cards down and Hayden Dale isn't around to hear it, does it still make a sound? Yeah, so this obviously wins question of the year. This is a fantastic question. This is freaking hilarious. Uh, so, doesn't make a sound. I have no idea, but apparently I slap my cards down, which I didn't even notice about. But uh, and I think I do it. The more damage I'm doing, the harder I slap. <laughs> it's a weird little tick I have, I guess. Yeah. Okay. There you go. The uh, and according to uh, another another viewer, the harder he slaps, the harder he slaps. So there you go. Brendan, next question. Uh, as we move through some of these fun questions, if you had a chance to design a generic card to be released mm -hmm. in the future, how would you want the card to function? Is there any maybe cards already in the game mm -hmm. that you might template it off? Yeah, so the, let, these are fun questions, right? So I'm going to give you a fun answer. I think that this card might actually ruin the game, um, so please don't print it. But I would like a, a card that does a you know, shuffle target player's deck. <laughs> I think that'd be freaking hilarious. That's actually so cool. Yeah, I, I think... Maybe in the current meta it wouldn't matter that much, but in past metas we've played or in future metas where, you know, deck stacking or pitch order is really important, that card could be super powerful. Yeah, I think it's pretty funny. And especially as you get later into this game, um, if the format slows down again, um, you know, the second, third cycle, that can be very important. Like, for example, decks like Bravo and Bravo Mirrors, your second, third, fourth cycle of your deck are incredibly important for winning. Um, and the stack of that deck helps mitigate... You know, I can't even say mitigate variance because if you pitch badly, you're going to draw badly, right? You're doing it to yourself, but it'd just be hilarious if there was a card. Maybe like ultimate pit fight only. Yeah. You know, maybe uh, maybe an ultimate pit fight pitch, pitch order doesn't matter too much, but uh, I don't know if I'd like it on a competitive level. It might get a bit tilting. Yeah, I don't know. It might have to cost a bit. Um, I just, the question is also from uh, some, a name that I love. Shane, by the way. Great name. Um, cheers, Shane, by the way. Uh, if I had a card... That was generic. Do you know what? I think I would love to see 
and again, I don't a bit of a fun answer because I don't think about a printer card like this, but some combination of um, Tomofi and Dao and Remembrance. Not sure what that <laughs> but uh, you know, throttle edge. Maybe you only need to shuffle one card in. Uh, you get to draw two cards, but gain no life. I don't know, something like that. Um, I'd love to see maybe something like that, but it could be a bit a bit good, Brendan. We're, we're not game designers nice. for a reason, right? Yeah. Oh, who knows? Uh, so hey, I mean, speaking of game design. Um, here's one from T. I don't know, or Tibau. But uh, which which hero do each of you personally think will be the first one to hit leg- living legend status and classic constructed? So it's just living legend status um, in the adult hero. Uh, I assume the answer is likely chain. So that you know, so any theory, any theory craft for what a new shadow rune blade hero would do. Hayden, you first. Mm, I was just reading this question because it does it does say um, T does say the the first he- what hero. So it could be you know it could be a young hero. Um, I actually think, you know, personally, it's it's either gonna be Chain or Ira. I think that's to me is is becoming pretty clear. But you know, in saying that, Tales of Ira could come out and completely change up that, right? Like you know, maybe for some reason, whatever we currently think is gonna happen doesn't happen. Uh, these two heroes continue to dominate the formats. Maybe you know, Skirmish Season Three is is massive. We get a, a ton of skirmishes, which I think I talked about on time around. That is my kind of concern with. With the scalability of the living legend changes, um, you know, maybe we get a you know double the skirmish we had last season, and and Ira basically you know gets that much closer to retirement already. Uh, could happen mm-hmm. if it was chain. Theorycraft a new shadow room blade hero. Um, you know what? I would like to see it still obviously interact with the banish. It's shadow, right? So it needs to do it in some way. Um, I would probably like to see it be. I guess something that doesn't let you play as many cards in a, in a single turn right so maybe not playing from banish but i would love to see maybe something like um you know some sort of cost interaction with cards you have in banish um whether that be you know like um you pay cards from banish to be able to play something or you have to put cards into your banish to be able to play something something like that i would like to see some sort of cost interaction um i think it's a bit easier to balance than playing multiple cards although it, it could still have some some you know play design issues you'd have to really balance that yeah um so to answer the kind of first question i do think that it will be chain but it is completely dependent on how the events roll out if we do you now if chain doesn't get uh it doesn't hit legend Le- living legends i would say like pretty soon after north american nationals or sorry, U.S. Nationals, then it might just be Ira out of a skirmish thing. But I really haven't done the math, so who knows who it could be. Obviously, if you just look at the data, it's like change being played the most, it's winning the most, so we will see. And obviously, the meta could just totally shift because this is flesh and blood. Deck building is incredibly hard, and people figure out new things all the time. Um, but yeah, in terms of a new hero, I haven't even really started thinking about it at all. But I will kind of, you know, kind of side answer your question, which is that so if there is a if Shadow Runeblade is banned, right? It's not like, um, you know, it's not like Ninja, because like, like in say Katsu is banned, you could still play Ira and Benji and Blitz. But say Shadow Runeblade was banned, or sorry, Chain was banned, how would they introduce a new Shadow Runeblade to to the game? Right? Is it okay? We have it already designed. It's coming out in X years in this set, or okay, this 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 hero has been banned. Therefore, this class has been banned because only one shot of Rune Blade. So, you know, but obviously you can still play him in Blitz, but this class has been banned. Um, do they kind of like SOS give us a new hero pretty quickly? Does it come out immediately in the next supplemental set? I just don't know how that works. So it's interesting. The idea that, because 
Yeah, if your entire class gets banned, if you're one of the you know, one of those kind of people that only plays one class, you identify with a certain class um, and you're unable to play it now. I think that puts us in a weird you know weird place, and I obviously it's unknown territory. So how will that kind of printing and adjustment work in the game? Yeah, I mean, of course you can still play viscerai right <clears throat> which <clears throat> excuse me sorry which means you get to still play you know your legendary viscerai, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah you get to still play your um grasp of the arknight you still get to play most of your majestics you know obviously you can't play like shadowverse or and, and things that are runeblade a uh, shadow and blade specific but you do still have an aspect of runeblade in the format so you know personally for me i would be fine with them just um you know waiting you don't need to see another shadow runeblade in a supplemental set straight away we could potentially wait for that but well, you know see what happens Awesome. So, hey, this one is from Sam Hoffman. It says, I'm totally new to the game. Are all of the heroes viable in both friendly and competitive settings? I think competitive answer is obvious based on this episode. Um, probably last episode. Yeah. But will you still have fun playing underpowered but your favorite hero, um, i.e. Reinar, against friends? So I'll pick this one up quickly. I actually sure. do think that every hero is viable in a competitive sense. Um, in early Monarch meta, we actually saw Azalea see some success um, against Shane. In the early days, right? Because the on-hit triggers would really punish that deck. So if the if the meta was, let's say, ninety percent dominated by chain, um, and chain was still losing to Azalea, I think chain the chain deck has made some adjustments to where it's probably a bit stronger versus Azalea now. Azalea could be the pick, and Azalea, if we want to talk about underpowered and flesh and blood, Azalea is the the name that comes to mind immediately, right? It's almost job. universally, yeah, it's almost universally looked at as the underpowered hero. That being said, it's still a powerful hero. And it can be the right meta call. It's just Rangers designed kind of it, what it looks like, some very specific metas. I mean, you have the on-hit triggers, like Red and the Ledger and things like this, but you also have um, the anti-defense reaction package, which is really interesting. So are they all competitive? I absolutely think so. The only one that maybe comes out of that list for me is Azalea. And even then, even then, it's so close. And it's, yeah, it's so, so, so close. Um, but if you're playing for fun, Yes, I, I do like to actively play less powerful decks, but not really less powerful decks. Um, I don't pick them because they're less powerful, but I like to play more complicated decks when I'm playing casually. So Kano is very powerful in Blitz, but he is my favorite deck because I think he's one of the most complicated decks that has ever existed in Flesh and Blood. Yes, you do win some games by just memeing and stirring your opponent twice in a row or three, you know, twice in a row and then, you know, getting the damage. But I... Right now, on a consistent game-to-game basis, I think the Kano deck in Blitz has the most lines that you can take in a single given in a single game, and I find that really interesting. And I f- I thought it was awesome how I uh, I did a section where I played a hundred games of Kano, like legitimately a hundred games of Kano in like fifteen days, um, and recorded all of them. And I saw myself get better all the way up to the hundredth one, which is not something I would have experienced on I think some other heroes. Mm, interesting. Yeah, uh, Sam, I say Sam does know me very well. Said uh, E.G. Reiner. Uh, Reiner is definitely one of, if not my favorite hero. I have this conundrum in my head where it goes back and forth about my favorite hero, but Reiner will always, you know, have a have a spot for me, and I, I love going back to Reiner when I can. Um, I agree with Brendan on you know viability of heroes. I, I kind of compare it a little bit to, um, I guess if I use like a I don't know like a, a sporting player, right? Like the equipment often doesn't necessarily matter for for players, right? They can. You know, they can use someone else's, I don't know, baseball bat in a game, right? Like, if, if you're competitive and you're, you're a good player, I think most of the decks right now, most of the heroes you can build in a certain way to, to be competitive. Um, but, you know, you're going to just see different shares of the metagame because not everyone's going to be able to grab those decks and, and play them to a high level. 
But every deck does have an element, I think, of or every hero in the current um, sets have have uh, an element of being able to do that. <laughs> in terms of, you know, do I, I also like playing um, decks that are less, I guess, less... I would say similar to what you said, Brendan, like, I just the decks that are more fun to me, more enjoyable. There's more, I guess, lines to play. There's things I can work on. Um, if I take Reiner, for example, I think there's some really like, cool interactions that I love about the design mm-hmm. of that hero that I like just playing because it's actively enjoyable to me. Um, same with Viscerai. Um, so, yeah, I would I would agree on that. Um, move on to the next question, um, Brendan. Thanks for that question, Sam. Um, There's a question from Cryoshark. Do you think LSS will create a Nationals-based team format or tournament format, sorry, much like that of the Davis Cup golf. So if you've seen Davis Cup, uh, it's, you know, I believe that's the one bit, and it's the Ryder Cup. I don't even know what Davis Cup is, sorry. So um, <laughs> I should have looked that up maybe. Would this be a popular style of play and would you prefer this over individual tournaments? I assume it's just like, it's like team play, right? So <clears throat> I assume you have some number of players playing off against each other for points. Um, I guess it might be similar to the Ryder Cup where they have uh, the US and Europe play off against each other in like a different sorts of play, different formats um, to get points. And then... Crowshark says, what country do you think would have the advantage now? Well, the, the, the last part of that question is a trap, so I don't know if I'm going to answer that. <laughs> but would I like to see it? I would love it, yeah. So um, Red Riot Games, a store out of Canada, actually did a national team-based format. It was like a 5v5. Um, and I think this, I can't remember if it's like a Pokemon-style format. Basically, A faces A. Then whoever loses A face B, you know, go, 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 and a single elimination. And it was a really, really fun format. It was really cool to kind of with newer people that I hadn't, you know, I didn't know too well. I knew them, but uh, yeah, got to represent the U.S. And eventually we we actually technically won the tournament. But it was cool seeing Canada face Singapore and lose, you know, very convincingly. And then we played against the U.K. and won. Um, and yeah, I think it's an awesome format. I'm more interested in actually that sort of team format where it's, um, I don't know what it's called, but you have like a, like say it's 3v3, it's ABC and like A faces A and then after one loses A faces B and like you come in to the match with locked deck lists um, and locked orders right before, but as you progress round to round, so from team to team, um, you can't switch the decks, but you can switch the orders. So there's kind of like a whole nother sort of game that goes on there with like how you order your decks and what you put first. Because in Blitz, it was actually really relevant. If like we went up against Canada and we knew Canada had a very egotistical um ira player like dante delfico we could just throw our otk viscerai first and auto lose him um but i think i made things really <laughs> sorry just a little shot at dante there which they actually didn't do dante played last but it's just it was just really cool and there was a lot more game elements to to that tournament other than just playing flesh and blood so i love turn team tournaments i hope so um i don't know about a national thing but any kind of team tournaments i'm all game let's do it yep um i just looked it up because uh, the davis cup is is tennis um, but I know Ryder Cup is golf, so very similar thing. Um, yeah, I think I would... Sorry, and sorry, just to clarify, this question actually came from Cody. I'm going to read Cryoshark's question next, so thanks, thanks Cody. Um, I like the idea of team formats. I think I've spoken this about in another podcast or in uh, time around before, but team formats are some, one of my favorite things to to play. Um, we played the Battle Hardened on the day of the last Auckland Calling, so start this year, uh, where we you know, um, as a 3v3 team format. I really like that. It was actually like a, a unified sealed. So, you know, you get, a, I think we had 10 packs or 12 packs to build our sealed pools from, three sealed pools. I like that format. You can do it with Constructed as well. Um, I think Teams is a great way to do Nash, like, um, I guess, world formats and 
I know like MTG did that in the past where they'd have like an individual championship but then they have a team championship as well on the same weekend where you know you'd have three players playing off against each other um best two out of three so yeah I really like those formats and it's something I would I would love to see in the future um what country do I think would have the advantage right now I I mean Don't you you're but, gonna run yourself into a dangerous place. Yeah, I just, I just leave it. Look, I think, I think as the the game changes, we're gonna see countries that are coming up in this game be very powerful in this game in terms of do very well. So, um, you know, it might be a little bit skewed right now, but I'm sure we'll see that change. Uh, I'm gonna to go to Cryo Shark's question, and then I've got one more from the fun section for you, Brendan, because I think you just have to answer it. But um, Cryo Shark says, if you could change one thing about Flesh and Blood, what would it be? Very broad question there for you, Brendan. Oh, if I could change one thing about Flesh and Blood. Yeah. Oh, my be. goodness. I, I, I'll, I'll start. That is, yeah, yeah, go I'll ahead. Start. If you've got one in your mind, I've definitely got to give a little bit of a I'll start. Because I, I think there's, there's a number of things that I think just quality of life that LSS could change as we go forward. And there's some things that I guess like macro level I would love to see change from like a community perspective. But those are all things I think that are um, they don't detract from the game. Um, I think one thing that... I found tougher and just competitive play and, and what's happening is, and I don't want to open up a can of worms, but <laughs> the, the breaker system is um, maybe not perfect for this game for competitive play. And I would just say the, the one reason I think that's true is that it can lead to, um, I guess like anticlimactic top eight cuts or top, top cuts, because um, basically if you lose your last round, uh, you, you're probably into the, the top cut based on the number of rounds, unless you're at the, the like the threshold of players, in which case you, you may not, but yeah, it's something you that, get locked after like round four. It's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, and, and also to be locked out as well. You know, there's no way you can like have this kind of heroic like start X and one, lose your second to last round, still get it. like it just comes down to when you lose your last round, which is a bit tough. But I don't. I actually think the whole premise of it is really positive in that it rewards the players who play against the toughest players at the end of the the day and and um you know maybe lose to an XO player or whatever it might be but it just it does detract from i guess the just makes it a bit anticlimactic you can often exactly call the top eight more often than not you know exactly what the top eight is before the last round even starts so <laughs> yep except for like you know maybe eighth ninth depending on how many players but uh, yeah i agree with you but i actually like it um i didn't experience climactic top eights um because i didn't competitively play other games but i do like that it does incentivize usually the better player getting in um because you're you know, you're losing later you're playing harder opponents all that good stuff but if i could change one thing in flesh and blood um it's not gonna be anything on game design right now it's uh it's pretty much i think that this will happen by the way i think this is in the process i think we're making the correct steps to get there but the organized play system in north america I think could be a bit revamped um, and managed more on like a micro level, store store level. So some things that I didn't like were like skirmish. It was kind of a part time job to get into a lot of skirmishes locally, um, and I do live in a, like a very very much of a hotbed of flesh and blood. Very hard to get in, um, and they just filled automatically, which is a capacity thing as well. But I think that <laughs> like the prizes really shouldn't they should be kind of proportional to the number of players as well like it feels pretty bad when i go to a hundred player event or a 50 player event and you know the you know the prize is like x price like it's that it's that sought after car the sought after promo and then someone can fly to you know somewhere where there's not much of a scene a rural part of america and then compete against and go to a 10 player event and it's the same prizes right or an eight player where everybody's immediately in top eight um, mm -hmm. i wish that the prices rotated based off entrance and yeah and also 
this also like what I described happening with skirmish also happened with road to Nats. Road hats were pretty hard to get into. You had to really be on top of it. Like I feel like you had to like not actively have a uh, a job that day when they were dropping and make all these calls. And it it's just not how it's it's it should be in the future. And I think it will change. Just right now, our demand is outstripping the supply in certain areas, and it leads to some kind of not so great scenarios. Yeah, I think that the really positive thing is that both things me and Brendan have said are not fundamental uh gameplay or things about the game that bother us or we would like to see change it's it's things that are probably more peripheral and to be honest these things will get better as as the game grows and as lss um become more experienced so i have you know no concerns which is great i actually just look brendan there's there's a couple more questions that i think are really cool so i'm just going to rattle through those and then we have um there's only a few questions left in the section so um Bit of quick fire. Who is the voiceover actor for our intro, Brennan? Uh, they sound epic mm-hmm. and it always gets me hyped. That's from Jason Sid Robertson. Yeah, so that's Dante Delfico, but with a little bit of editing. Just like a very slight amount. <laughs> Great. Um, do you guys think you're going to do a tier list or ranking of all heroes for Constructed? Uh, like what we think, not just the data. That's from um, Achilles. I will say that we will probably do something like that. Um, I just don't know if we'll do it on our main channel. I'm not sure it's something that it would necessarily yeah i don't know we'll, yeah we probably would do depends like depends how much we want to sell our soul to youtube because tls are they're pretty uh you've really sold yourself when you get there that that's a dark point but i think it's every youtuber's uh evolution is to make tls that being said to answer your question kind of like the most useful way right now we do not agree with the data in terms of if you were to look at the data and make a tier list based off that it'd be vastly different from the way that we actually view the meta. Yeah. Tier lists are difficult in this game, I think, because of how much uh, builds and play skill and things come into it. Um, but it does look like we might be the only ones who haven't done it, Brendan. So, you know, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Upcoming tier list. Who's the most handsome player in Flesh and Blood? There we go. Like Controversial. Um, <laughs> uh, Mr. M says, uh, why isn't Hayden a blonde boy? A yet a blonde boy? Uh, look, I'm I'm working on something. Something will will happen in the future. I'm I'm still very much stuck in quite a strict uh, lockdown where I leave my house for a little bit of exercise and uh, to go to the the grocery store once every few days, and and that's kind of it. But you know, watch the space. But Brennan's taking up the mantle and he's going to go white for you, so uh, don't worry about it. Um, this one is for me, apparently. Um, this comes from Jack Glavin, who said he just top aided the Rhodes Nationals in Hobart, which is um, in Tasmania, Australia, which is a friggin' beautiful place. If you ever come to Australia, go to Tasmania oh, really? and go to. Uh, it's like it's it's fantastic. It's this little island at the very end, um, south end of Australia. That's just fantastic. Um, so he just top aided the Rhodes Nationals there. Uh, that uh, actually I was meant to be at. He's just shouted out to say that, that I was going to be there. Uh, he said it's a shame that you guys didn't come down. Um, yeah, but beyond our control, unfortunately. But next time we'll get down there. Any excuse to go to, to Hobart and to Tasmania, I'll be there. Um, Jack wanted to ask, though, uh, what would I have been playing? Uh, would it have been Chain or something a little bit uh, out of left field? Cheers for the question, Jack. Um, it's it's a difficult question uh, because my perspective on Road to Nationals kind of changed once I knew that I wasn't going to be able to play in Road to Nationals, basically. Um, so, I mean, I likely would have played... I likely would have done something similar to, to Brendan uh, because obviously we're on the same testing schedule. I probably would have played Chain because... You know, we felt this. We had this very strong deck. Um, at at least one or two Roach Nationals, but I also have a couple of decks sitting in the locker that uh, I really want to bust out at some point in Roach Nationals. I'm trying to get Brendan to play one of these decks, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, I think my aim was to play at least three different decks because there's two other decks I really wanted to play in this season. 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny in our in our testing group. I think Hayden. I mean, it's not. I think. I mean, Hayden definitely plays chain the least yes. by far, <laughs> almost never. <laughs> uh, so he's doing God's work over there, just uh, playing the Gauntlet decks. Yeah, I just play the Gauntlet decks, which makes sense at this point um, because because we know that I'm not going to be playing these events. Anyway, uh, last question. We're going to move on from the section, Brendan. All right, guys. So we're going to head into the second section, which is classic constructed meta questions. Um, it's obviously a very kind of interesting sort of macro group we have here, very relevant with Road to Nationals being, um, you know, every weekend right now. And then we have the calling coming up. So let's start off with the first one. So curious what you guys think of Dash, why you think that Dash will be everywhere this weekend. Um, and then he quoted some numbers, which makes Dash like not really the deck to pick um, and alluded to Shane being, you know, very good on the numbers, which is correct. So why would people go back to, uh, to Dash? So Dash, in my opinion, is an, like a nostalgia deck. So Dash was an extremely dominant deck in um, Crucible of War meta, based off numbers. I'm going to talk numbers. Um, and for a lot of people, I think that Dash was their deck. Like that was their pet deck. And Dash does something that a lot of decks don't do. It starts with items. It develops a permanent board state that gives itself incremental advantage until it's basically in an unlosable position. Um, and it also can play from a control strategy, really punish you know things like Warrior and stuff like this, decks that people typically... You know, sometimes have very bad feelings about. So it was a, uh, it's very much, I don't know. I think it was a bit of an identity deck in Crucible. And basically, when Monarch came out, that deck got deleted. Like you can't, you couldn't play that deck. It was so bad in so many ways because it was control. Like the Monarch meta has been defined by not having reactive strategies. It's been mostly proactive strategies. And the Dash Control Pistol deck or whatever was very reactive. So it struggled versus a lot of this, the new stuff in the meta. So Matt Rogers won a Road to Nationals with it and did a deck talk about it. And I think that people just wanted an excuse. They wanted their, you know, I don't know, their disciple to come down and tell them that, hey, this deck exists. It's back. It's okay. You can play it. Be safe again. And they're like, yes, finally. So I think that's why people got back on Dash. Did Dash perform? No, it didn't. Um, it didn't perform well uh, at all in North America, actually. Uh, is it a decent deck? Yeah, it's actually decent. It's pretty good. Um, it's really good in the Bravo um and some other things but has some pretty bad uh some pretty bad matchups outside of that and it's just i think fundamentally it's uh it's a little bit more fair than some other decks that are currently in the meta but um yeah i think i for me that's why i think the dash was i expected to kind of surge and it did in my week two dash was extremely popular um like we went from i saw no i saw one dash week one to seeing i mean somewhere between 10 and 15 maybe even 20 percent of the field walk up with their old dash list ready to go mm -hmm. so I yeah. Don't know. What were your thoughts, Aiden? Yeah, it probably didn't. Um, I guess maybe when we were talking about it, it, it kind of gave off the impression that we thought it was going to be like as big as chain. We, I guess we didn't. We never thought that, um, but we definitely thought it was going to grow to week two, and it probably didn't grow maybe as much as uh, week two to three. Sorry, maybe as much as we'd thought or or <laughs> Brendan had quoted, but it definitely did grow in popularity, and, and it makes sense, right? Just in terms of the decks that it was trying to target in that format and the results we'd seen the week before. Um, I think there's a place for Dash in this format. Like that's the reason that it's going to see play. Uh, you know, there's we're starting to see a somewhat evolving metagame through these weeks. So that's you know, it just felt like a, a logical pick, especially when you look at maybe some of the matchups. Uh, you know, we knew Bravo was was still popular. Uh, Bravo had another big weekend last weekend, so you know, it, it makes sense for for Dash to show up. Um, Brendan, these next three questions I'm rolling together because they're very similar. Uh, these come mm -hmm. from Michael Fay, Will Evans, and Christopher Munro. Also, that last question was from Focus Flute, so thank you. What does Livia need to become more competitively viable? 
Uh, that's one of the questions. Why do you think Levia has been underplayed in the current meta? And the third question is, you mentioned that Levia might be a good meta call. What do you think the big advantage Shadow Brute has over regular Brute in this meta? Uh, thanks. So that's from Michael, Will, and, and Christopher. So I just rolled these questions together uh, because, you know, they're very similar. They're all about Levia. So what do I think, I guess, Levia needs to become more competitively viable? Uh, I guess it needs testing is what I would say. I think there's a lot of tools there for Levia right now. Um, why do I think it's been underplayed for the same reason? It just hasn't been tested as much. People haven't been uh, working on it as much or uh, I guess finding... It's a very difficult deck to build, I think, and it's also a very difficult hero to play. Uh, there's a lot of things going on where you have to manage... Uh, you know, Unlike Chain, where you it's a lot easier to manage your blood debt, um, it's a lot more difficult with, with Levia because you know, you're actively trying to manage your graveyard at the same time and then put cards from your graveyard into your banish that want to kill you, uh, which makes it you know more difficult. Um, what I think the big advantage is over, sh you know, regular brute with Shadow Brute is just pure damage output in this format. I think Reiner has the intimidate mechanic, which is really, really powerful into, you know, like heroes that want to slow down the game and, and block out and be defensive and do a little bit of, um, combination of blocking and attacking, uh, and you get to throw an intimidate in there and, and really mess up their plans and, and take cards out of their hand and not let them execute their plan. When, when decks are just wanting to play out five-cut hands and don't really care if they defend or not, Intimidate becomes a pretty weak mechanic. So you miss out on extra damage or output that Shadow Brute has um, in favor of the Intimidate mechanic. And it's just, uh, it's probably not where you want to be in the current meta is, is my thought. But what do you think, Brennan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to kind of cut straight to, you know, maybe leaking a little bit more than we should, but I feel comfortable with it because Levia is dogged on so much. So Levia is perceived as like even more unplayable than Azalea by some players. Um, so without leaking too much, I'll say that we do have a, a deck in our testing group that is very, very good. The only reason why we're not playing it is because we think we have a deck that's better, that has good matchups into everything. Um, and Levia is just sometimes not over 50% on you know a very popular <laughs> another very popular deck in the meta uh chain so because of that it seems like it's objectively better to just play a different deck but the deck that you know hayden has brewed up and that he's been playing into us has been uh performing extremely well so it's actually something that i'm looking forward to playing um out of road to nationals I and mean, all that kind of stuff and it does use claws i will say that because a lot of people are asking me like like oh hexagoras and like that I'll tell, I'm comfortable saying like it, it does use claws and the deck is extremely impressive. Um, and you, it's crazy how much damage that thing puts out. I do, I do like Hexagore though. I just, uh, you know, haven't been able to find as consistent a way to play. Chain, right? Yeah, just the current format, I think. But yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. um, what do you want to go to next, Brennan? Any questions uh, we could go to? Here's, here's a good one for you. If the Bolton Secret is let out of the bag, not sure what the bag is. Um, <laughs> say it's as represented as Prism or Katsu what's the conversion rate then and does Chain sit just as pretty at 38% I'm guessing that's from John uh, John Franey and I'm guessing he's, what he's asking is does uh, does Bolton start to cut into Chain's win rate for sure I think that like there's actually a phenomenon going on where a lot of people will go on are hopping onto Chain because they think the deck is easy and I'm, I'll am i be here to tell you right now someone who plays the deck a lot it is easy um, in aggro <laughs> so a lot of people are picking up this deck playing aggro mirrors throughout their and then getting a lot of easy wins. And then when they get up to a tough game, they're going to require you to practice the deck, maybe not having so much success. I'm actually seeing a lot of people hop off of chain onto other picks that they're more comfortable with. This is happening. Like I was talking to a very notable player 
um, Gail McCreeth recently was telling me about this happening in New Zealand. And it's totally, it's totally reasonable to happen. People are hopping off of chain. You know, there was kind of a craze when he was first very popular in week one and now in week two when he won again um, in a big event. And people hopped on the chain. The, you see success with chain. It's pretty easy to see the base power of chain. After that, um, the deck does get quite complicated. Like I actually think that chain into certain archetypes probably one of the hardest things you can be doing in flesh and blood right now like some of the end games that you have to craft and board states that you have to manage um border on like border on extremely difficult uh so yeah i mean it's an interesting deck and so will people go to bolton right so <laughs> if we want to talk about variants like i think the chain has variants and it's frustrating and all that kind of stuff but if, if we're talking about variants i think bolton's got more variants right if you don't draw your charge cards it's see you later right if in an aggro format you gotta draw pretty well it feels like as bolton um and I think for to be the persistent aggro deck that is not chain, you need to be have a decent matchup in the chain. I just think that aggro Katsu is better positioned than Bolton right now to do that, right? Bolton has a good matchup into mech. Um, I haven't played it myself, but that's what I've heard. Katsu aggro has a better matchup, right? Katsu aggro seems like that's kind of the deck. I expect Katsu aggro to be consistent um, and sort of rising in popularity. Chain stay where it is. Bolton... Definitely, I think, will get more popular. I don't think that it is the pick, like you mentioned. It's like, is it going to surge past uh, Prism or Katsu? No, I don't think so. But will it become more popular because it was very underappreciated and the deck is actually quite strong? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, I think, you know, people had definitely dogged on, you know, they'd, they'd been trying to dunk on Bolton saying it wasn't a very good uh, a good hero. It's It didn't play very well. I think people have proven that's not true. There's... You talked about consistency, Brendan. You can make this deck more consistent. You do have to sacrifice some power. So it, it does come down to a bit of a question of how you want to play this deck. And I think that's actually one of the strengths of this deck is that uh, you can adapt it. You've got multiple weapons to choose from. Um, the hero has a really powerful, I guess, inherent ability, but it needs its cards to support that. The I guess the question around, you know, is it going to be as representative as Prism or Katsu? I agree. I don't, I don't think it will. Um, just because I actually think Bolton isn't that easy to play into wider fields so if the field is pretty wide with you know say six seven heroes showing up more than seven or eight percent you know you you need to be prepared for these matchups but the one thing that bolton can do really well is it plays better as a, a mid-range deck than say maybe like an, an aggro katsu might um need to do or an azalea or something needs to do in certain matchups um, because you have access to you know some pretty strong defense reactions you have soul shield um you have this ability to set up for really strong late game plans by setting up your soul and, and getting your luminar ascensions and beacons ready um, via the vanguards, etc. So I think it's a really powerful thing that Bolton can do. Um, I, I think if it gets it starts seeing more play, I actually think we'll see the conversion rate go down. Uh, we'll, I just think the people who've been playing it so far have understood the deck, um, are probably outperforming what you'd expect them the average of results to be uh, if this was a more widely played hero. Mm-hmm. All right, Hayden. So this one's from Brandon. He says, what's your recommendation on how to tackle a changing meta? Should you stick with your main hero um, due to familiarity uh, and make deck adjustments, or should you change your hero to counter the evolving meta? Yeah, this is a great question um, because I don't think there's one <laughs> right answer. It's going to depend on who you are as a player and and um, your experiences. So I'll give this example. If you're going into a road to nationals say this weekend or next weekend so you've got I don't know, a few days or you've got you know, seven or eight days to prepare for it i think actively changing to a hero that you don't know uh, is probably going to be a bad thing i don't think you're going to be able to get in enough reps against the main decks in the format 
Um, unless for some reason you've got 10 days in a row to just test for you know a few hours a day, six, seven hours a day, um, you're probably going to be at a, dis, you know, a disadvantage to then if you just took the hero that you know a lot better and tried to adapt that deck to target the meta. Um, and that's just because there's so many intricacies in, in Flesh and Blood, right? And, and even if you have a deck that has a, you know, a perceived strong matchup into a certain hero, if you don't know how that game actually plays out, uh, you're going to struggle, first of all, to enact that strategy. But you're, if your opponents play that matchup, they're definitely going to be adapting their strategy. And if you don't know even how to play level one of your strategy, and then you need to get to level two to win the match because your opponent's gone to level two of their game plan, it'll be very, very difficult. And you're probably going to have a, a pretty pretty bad day, I'd say. Um, there's definitely certain decks that have so much power that you know just enacting your game plan uh, can work really well. And these are probably, you know, say, more aggressive decks in general. Um, but I do think it is really difficult if players are adapting their strategies to, to target these decks and um, you don't know how they're going to do it and you can't you know, yourself sort of readjust as the game goes on. So I would say in general, if you're trying to target a meta and you only have a limited time to do it, you're going to be better off taking a deck that you think is reasonable and you know and trying to you know target the meta that way by changing your game plan or whatever it might be. But if you have more time, then yeah, I think playing a different hero could be a way to go. Yeah, this is an interesting question. So I'm, I always default to you know, playing what you're comfortable with because um, I think that will lead to success more than trying to make a meta call and playing a new deck. I, but really, it depends on the type of player you are and the amount of time you have because um, I would give that advice. But then again, like I'm a total flavor of the month player, right? But I think I put in enough practice to be able to do something like that where if I didn't have this time to practice... Uh, I definitely would not make that decision. <laughs> uh, I think that coming underprepared to underpractice on a deck is probably one of the worst things you can do. Because it, in an aggro meta, it's a bit different, right? It's a bit face up on what you're trying to do if, when you're playing aggro mirrors and things like this. But if someone tries to drag you into deep water, take you into the late game, and you don't know how your deck functions and how to manage, you think your, li like, your life total is a resource, right? But you're also your cards and your threat density and the overall damage your deck can do is also another resource. And if you don't know how to manage that, it can get really tough in those later games. This actually came up in a... We played Dash versus Reinar, and Hayden actually... Um, he had decided to employ an aggressive strategy versus me, um, where you know if he had decided to play control, Reinar is theoretically favored. Um, but it was interesting because in the aggressive matchup, I was actually able to win. But if, we had, if he had played the control, uh, the control version of the deck, control strategy, I probably would have lost simply because I didn't know how to navigate that end game scenario, what cards to stack, when to save them, when to trade them, all this kind of stuff. And the game state would have been much more complicated. So even though I was favored as Reiner versus control mech, I probably would have ended up losing just because I wasn't comfortable on my deck and I didn't know my way to win if somebody was playing, you know, kind of like a hardcore, very resource management control deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I have a question here. This actually flows really nicely into the question about changing heroes. And, and um, it's a question from somebody's written. You stated in a previous episode that you felt after week one, Katsu was weak because of his reactive game plan. But then you took Bravo to week two. Bravo is re reactive normally. Yeah, it's a great, great question. Uh, what specifically made you feel Bravo was better into week two instead of Katsu? And that's from a name that I definitely don't know how to pronounce. Sorry. Um, uh, let's say it's Sovale Mizram, I'm going to say. Apologies. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, why did I bring Bravo? Um, good question. So, I didn't bring Bravo because I thought he was the best, but I did want to switch things up. The Bravo list that I was on was actually quite aggressive, and it was very, it was quite proactive. 
Um, so it was prepared for an aggro meta. That being said, I really did not expect the dash as much as I was, and that was that definitely felt like it was my downfall. Um, did I have a reactive strategy versus something like chain? Yes, I did. Why was I comfortable with that? Because I don't, I didn't think that the people that I would be playing in my local meta would be prepared to beat that strategy. Um, I think it's very beatable. Obviously, I've done it quite consistently. That's why I've won. Like people have, people have tried to play a reactive strategy versus you know me when I played chain quite a lot um, through these roads national events, and it doesn't work. But I didn't. I thought that I could employ that strategy versus other players, um, and I thought that my deck was proactive outside of the chain mirror. Or sorry, outside of the chain match. Um, just really didn't expect the dash. The dash got me. I just, it, like when we, it was a big event, so that event was like sixty two players um or something like that and like the top tables were just flooded with dash it was ridiculous <laughs> it was, there was so much dash at the top tables but uh yeah ended up missing and coming 10th but i think the bravo is legit like if you look at if you look at the conversion rate, you look at the ma- the data bravo does do very well but i don't know if that's off the back of um people being a bit inexperienced on some of the other decks that are playing into him because i don't think that he's particularly well positioned at the moment yeah, I yeah, I just wanted to add on to that because obviously I was part of this decision to to get you know saying to Brennan to take this list and to to play Bravo. Um, I think the reason to take it over playing Katsu is, and I don't know if I've said this enough, but I just don't think that Katsu Control is is a good deck in this current meta. I just think the the proactive decks that are out there are really difficult for you to deal with. Um, once you get into you, so Katsu could be a reasonable deck to take to make it into like top sixteen, maybe top eight. But I just don't think um, you're going to be able to win stronger field events with Katsu Control. Yeah. Shouldn't win a big event with Katsu Control. You should almost certainly lose. Like, it's by far the worst deck in the format. Um, is it a challenging deck oh, to no. face? Yeah. No, yeah. No, it's the worst. Like, it's the worst for sure. And, like, it's a challenging deck to face if you don't know how to beat it, um, I guess. So, I, yeah, the fact that that deck won some other events, like, I think they were a bit smaller and people just weren't prepared to be Katsu control. But in terms of like actual theory on, you know, how things are lining up in the meta, like Katsu control is extremely poorly positioned and the deck also lost its like key tool, which is like kind of why it existed, which was drone of brutality. So like mech is just a strictly better deck kind of it's weird. Um, but yeah, never would have considered bringing Katsu Control. But Katsu Ragger, that's a legit deck. I, I really, I'm a big fan of that deck. And at the event that I was at um, in Edmond last weekend, 52 players, someone went 6-0 with it. So yeah, that's yeah. a Katsu's, Katsu's a force. Mm-hmm. It's a good deck right now. Um, aggressive, yeah. Uh, question from Mitchell O'Keefe. What were the dark courses of the Monarch meta? Uh, shout out to Mitchell. Mitchell's a, a local Sydney player as well. Or a local Australian player, sorry. Yeah, so I just want to quickly say, like, quickly, definitely Kano is a bit of a dark horse because a lot of people are still not packing in the little room. I think we saw some Kano's top eight over in New Zealand. Um, I, I don't, I didn't see anybody play it in my region in the south, but yeah, it's definitely a dark. Like, it's pretty much the definition of a dark horse, right? <laughs> like, people just are objectively or not objectively, but they're just kind of disrespecting it and not even putting Nolrud in their list. Um, and you could just seriously steamroll an event. That being said, the question has to be answered, can Kano win against decks that don't have Null Rune or just have Null Rune 1? Um, and that's really what it comes down to. Is like, can you win an event off the back of people being underprepared in their deck list uh, creation? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I personally think it, it probably can. Um, I, I think too. the 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 Kano hit a top four last weekend. I think that was. I'm pretty sure that was in the US. Um, but yeah, you know, good to good to see Kano out there. And definitely, like the definition of a dark horse, right? Is that it's written off. And if people are riding off Kano, they're not going to show up with with Nora. And so the perfect opportunity for a dark horse like Kano to shine. Um, I also think you know that we we talked about Livia before. I think it is a bit of a, a dark horse. Um, the probably the other one and i think the last weekend's results probably show that it's not necessarily actually seen by a lot of people as a, as a dark horse and when you look at the the results um but it's actually dorinthia to be honest i would i would uh maybe position that as a, as a dark horse although it did, did see uptick in play in results last weekend yeah um that's an interesting one with dorinthia because there is a list that um one of our friends plays that just quite it's quite decent into chain but then most of the lists that i've encountered in the wild per se or out of tournaments have been very weak in the chain um mm-hmm. and borderline yeah i don't know so it's weird it's a weird it's a weird deck to try to balance to be strong into an aggressive deck with husk like chain and then also be strong into a deck like bravo that's going to have defense reactions um so yeah it's an interesting little puzzle to solve but i haven't seen too much during the myself but i did face one in round five at my event Hard to, hard to do everything in this format, right, Brendan? That's why that's why I guess actually just a really good example of why we keep saying proactive game plans are what we would favor in, in this current meta. Yeah, it's hard to do everything unless you have the deck that does everything. <laughs> that one definitely exists. Um this is a question from Nathan um, Lapham. If Dash is going to make a resurgence in the meta, will Brute rise along with her? I'll answer this one first. Uh, I think it I think it should. Uh, will it? I don't know. But um, we did see some Rhinos put up some good results last weekend, and I'm sure that uh, at least a handful of those players who made those top fours and top eights thought, well, there's probably going to be a reasonable Dash at my event. I'm going to take Brute. Yeah, I think Dash has a pretty bad matchup in the chain, so I don't think that Dash will <laughs> make a resurgence in the meta. Uh, you can definitely play prey on Bravos with that deck, and you have you have decent matchups otherwise. I just think that like the most popular deck in the meta, like Dash has a bad matchup into. We might see the the success from most of these dashes might be because the skill level of some of the chains that are running into them, where they're able to fatigue them or do whatever strategy they have. But generally, I think that that is a quite it's quite it's quite chain favorite. So I'm pretty I'm pretty surprised. So with that, I actually think that Dash will kind of fade back out of the meta, kind of. Um, but we'll still be around. I mean, mm-hmm. we went from week one with it like almost not being represented at all to being a significant force if you show up to an event. Yeah. Um, last question, Britain, that I want to ask before we move on to the next section. This comes from Tom um, Felipe. He says, "Huge fan of the show and divorce jokes shake him to the core." Uh, question if the current trend of increasing chain victories continues will lss need to take action with an errata or something else even prior to the natural living legend status um banning process yeah so i personally don't think so um and anybody who listens to this podcast knows that i've ranted i probably have a perception of chain that is much higher than a lot of other respectable players that are around um and even now I'd say no, because I think the Living Legend status is pretty sufficient. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I think it's a solid model. And I don't think we need any erratas. The deck isn't like disgustingly overpowered to where you just you just win no matter what every time. There are strategies that are harder to beat. And there are certain archetypes that you just really can't be like guaranteed to win. I mean, that's mostly aggro, right? So 
Um, I think the, <laughs> I mean, the deck is definitely strong. Look at look at the look at the math, look at the the numbers, but doesn't need Narada? I don't think so. Yeah, there's there's three things that make me say no to the question um, that Living Legend status will will be enough. Um, the first is that it's not actually easy to play to a high level and beat the strategies that have targeted chain. Um, the second is that you know I think the meta still looks reasonably healthy. I think you know there's the meta game breakdowns that we're seeing. I think is is fine. You know, chain's doing well, but so are some other heroes. Um, and the the other third fact is that you still get to play flesh and blood. It's not a hero that yes breaks the fundamentals of the game to a point that you don't get to enjoy and play games of flesh and blood and still be able to win every single game of flesh and blood that you play when you sit down you know opposite a chain player which in other games where you've had to see i guess erratas happen or things happen to maybe ban certain cards uh is because you you sit down and it's uh, it's a non-game you know people turn zero comboing or whatever you know there's heaps of other things so i think there's those those three reasons why i think it it isn't it isn't needed right now cool we're going to move on to some questions about the future of Flesh and Blood. So I just want to say thank you to uh, the players who, or sorry, the players, the viewers and um, listeners that submitted those questions on the Class Constructor Meta. We didn't get through all the questions there. But, um, there were some really similar questions. We might come back to some in the future. But yeah, questions about the future of Flesh and Blood, Brennan. Um, it's a bit far into the future, but with National Champs being just over a month after the release of Tales of Aria, what do you think will be the best strategy to go with, assuming you can get plenty of testing done, playing a brand new deck to surprise the meta, like the new Ranger? We're playing a reliable, proven deck like Chain, and that comes from uh, Wookie KX. Yeah, I mean, I think this actually links back to a question we answered earlier. I think you have the time to practice um, and put, you know, put the work in to learn a character. Like it's totally viable to bring a new character and switch onto a deck. I know for me, if there was a deck that came out that I thought was positioned better, was stronger, I would play it. Um, but I know that I might be in the minority there with how much flesh and blood i play um but yeah i mean that's 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 kind of where i stand on the topic mm -hmm. yeah i agree it's going to come down to just testing time and i think it could go could go either way um it's gonna be really interesting to see what tails rings I, I think the one thing is that right now we know absolutely nothing about tales of Aria, so it's really difficult to say what um what nationals could hold but you know nationals does come reasonably quickly especially for some countries presumably um hot on the heels of, of tales of Aria, probably you know a month to six weeks all right so next we have a question from mooseberry jr which is actually pretty funnily written funnily written i don't know i'm just messing up my words there but he said what do you think the world's meta will shake uh how will the world's meta shake down i guess with american aggression or defensive-minded new zealand australia meta or even the kano loving spell slinging combo breaking um southeast asian players <laughs> that is a that is an interesting way to phrase it so i have to say i definitely disagree a little bit on the categorizations of the different regions <laughs> i think that man if i had to put it if i had to put it one way it's new zealand australia i don't know we have we really I, it, it's impossible right we haven't, we haven't played much at all there's been no kind of universal events but uh is there is there a specific kind of archetype that is defining a region the only one i can think of is like taiwan definitely plays like a ton of dorinthia and ninja and has for like two years yeah yeah i um i actually think it's funny because I, I think the new zealand australia meters are actually somewhat different um to a degree and interesting i wouldn't have necessarily thought of like defensive minded but i'm gonna go back to the the you know the, the question about what the world's meta might shake down like um i don't think it'll be 
regionally impacted to much of a degree, to be honest. Um, I think what we're more likely to see is um, strategies come out of those regions for the specific event um, more potentially because you're probably going to get players, if it's, say it's a world's event, you're going to get players working together probably within those regions. So you'd probably get you know a group of New Zealanders working together. You'd have or probably multiple groups of New Zealanders working together, multiple groups um, in North America, group or two in Europe, a group or two in um, Asia and Australia probably. So I think more likely you probably see uh, prevailing strategies come from those areas and it could depend on just what the set before worlds gives you to be honest yeah it's definitely much more a group or a team based whatever you want to call them um yeah and those i, I don't know i think i think we're in a weird position but the people that we test with are all from a different country <laughs> yeah so funny. yeah that's pretty funny um cool this is a question from um brian Dodonna. It's fair to say most of your listeners, so the Arsenal Pass listeners, are interested in competitive FAB. Do you think focusing on that type of player is enough for FAB to succeed long-term, or will LSS need to find a way for Flesh and Blood to appeal to more casual players as well? Uh, he's added a little bonus question here. We'll, we'll let you away with that, uh, Brian. How could they do that? Uh, or how do they do that if they think they're already? Mm-hmm. So two things immediately come to mind. Um like Ultimate Pit Fight, which is obviously not an established or kind of very played format right now, but could be in the future. Um, if we get to, you know, it's going to be a while before we get to like commander level, uh, commander levels like they have in Magic the Gathering. Yeah. But I think that Blitz is a format created for casuals. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So we have like, we have a very, very popular and prevalent format that is created specifically for casual players and casual games. I know it doesn't feel like that because like we all, everybody was like taking Skirmish super seriously. But that, I mean, it's a casual format, right? Um, it's fast small decks and I don't know, you can kind of play whatever you want, right? Theoretically. So I think that that is the casual format of flesh and blood where class constructed is its pinnacle of competitive play. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the answer to the question for me is uh, could flesh and blood or LSS focus on competitive players exclusively? Definitely not. The game would fail. Um, I think, or, you know, it, it would be a very small game at that point. I wouldn't say it would fail because it could, could easily live on, but it'd be a very small game at that point. Um, the the thing that LSS have already done and they've already planted these seeds is with Blitz, is with UPF. Um, you know, Blitz, as Britain said, it's you're going to see a transition to much more of a casual format. The reason it's been seen, I guess, as a more competitive format so far is that effectively um, skirmish events, which, you know, if you've ever played other games like Magic the Gathering or, um, you know, even other games, it's effectively a game day. Skirmish is a very casual store-based format. The, the the reason it's been so prevalent and prominent in the discourse and in the focus of competitive players is because there's been no other events for players. So that was kind of the, the first focus. But we'll see, you know, pro quest events, pro tours, worlds, more callings, nationals, regionals, all these things, um, or road to nationals happen so much more frequently that an event like Skirmish does actually start to fill its role, which is to be a store level tier one um event which is you know for getting players into the game and, and that's where blitz is going to have its home not to say that blitz won't be used as a competitive format from time to time but uh the limited play and class constructed are going to be the, the formats that lss um push for the competitive side i have no doubt about that so i think the seeds they've already planted in order to grow the game from both a competitive standpoint and a, a you know a store level and casual um game is, is already there and you know you see it's it's a game that is definitely with collectors in mind uh, it's not just for, I guess, players who are competitive minds. So I think they've already got the seeds there. It's just about how that sort of shakes out over the next 18 months. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Hayden, this is a slightly different section, but this is, I really like this question. So it's from Ognarot. Uh, it says, if you go back to when you started playing the game, what are one to two pieces of advice you'd give yourself? Yep. <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, I think the, the first one would be to uh, think or approach the game um, and deck building from a more, I guess, theoretical standpoint. I think when I started playing Flesh and Blood and for a very long time in Flesh and Blood, I was very like practically driven by my decisions in deck building and how I developed strategies for playing a game. Um, I was using like, you know, anecdotal evidence or I was using, I guess, like a, a certain examples that I had at my disposal, um, which, you know, could be, I don't know, uh, having this card in my deck is good because in the games I've played so far, it's done X, Y, Z. Whereas, you know, if I'd taken a step back and thought about what that card actually does, I would have gone, oh yeah, this card does X, Y, Z, but also uh, it's a card that defends for two, which hurts my overall plan of uh, blocking more, uh, defending more aggressively in the early game. Or it's a card that pitches for red, um, and it's a card I do want to pitch for late game, but it pitches for red, so it's really hard to get to the bottom of my deck for late game. Things like that. So I think approaching a game from a more theory base as well uh, really has been a big win for me, I think, in this game in terms of how I construct decks and construct strategies. Um, and just means I have to spend less time playtesting things that should be really obvious to me or could be really obvious to me, but in the past I would just you know jam them in the deck and, and play them out and then work out you know, 50 games down the line that actually this card is nowhere near as good as I thought it was, or the strategy is nowhere near as good as I thought it was. Um, yeah. Oh, I've got a second piece, but do you have a, a first piece to start with, Brendan? We can kind of back and forth it. I've got two pieces as well. It works out perfectly. So if I could give myself one piece of advice back when I started, be to pay attention to more things. Like, pay attention to everything. Um, it's kind of easier now because you have, like, online resources, people telling you, like that things like your pitch order and like the, like there's these advanced concepts. We have like pitching your deck. We have the overall like kind of value of your deck, like the damage that's left in there. You know, the, if you're playing ninja, the combo lines that are left. Like all this, all these more complicated things where you're like exhausting resources just by playing cards, and you have to kind of keep that up as you cycle through the second, third, all this kind of stuff. And I think at the beginning, I took it more at face value and kind of played my hand. Um, which is the biggest trap in Flesh of Blood. Just playing your hand as you draw it is like probably one of the worst things you can do. Um, the depth of this game goes much deeper, and there's very much is a macro strategy to every game, while there is a micro strategy to every hand. Um, and I think if I had just paid more attention and you know respected those concepts a bit more, I probably would have, you know, I don't know, bared that fruit a bit more. Yeah, my, my second piece is... I, to be honest, I wish I just knew that, um, I wish someone had told me that I should just always have a plan of how I'm going to win the game. No matter if I'm playing, you know, a game of draft, I'm playing a sealed game, I'm playing a blitz game, playing class constructor, whatever the format is, um, whatever deck I'm playing that I should know in my mind, um, at least, at least roughly how I want to win the game. Um, I played so many games of flesh and blood for so long with an idea of what my deck did. You know, I have a really aggressive deck or I have these cool combinations of cards, but didn't necessarily know how I was going to win the game. And, you know, lucky for me, I just stumbled upon my wins or, you know, I guess my fundamentals were okay that I managed to get into winning positions or I accrued enough advantage over the game that it didn't matter. But um, I definitely lost games because I just didn't know how I was going to win the game. Yeah, so number two for me is something that I think I, you know, I did really well um, at the beginning and I'm really happy that I did it you know, did it from the start. And that was, a, you know, putting myself out there and kind of being a part of the community. I think this is a, you know, this can be a solo, you know, venture or kind of a community-based game or whatever you want it to be. But putting myself out there, meeting new people and just fully embracing everything 
this game had to offer uh, was definitely the most rewarding thing that I did when I started playing this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask one more question from, I guess, questions about the future of Flesh and Blood, because um, I think this question is great. It comes from Ark, and it says, what gives you the confidence confidence that Flesh and Blood has legs for long-term viability? And my, my answer is actually just really simple, um, and that it's yep. Legend Story Game Studios. Game. I think the developers <laughs> of this game, and those who made this game, uh, are unlike any other studio. I mean, I talk to game store owners, and they say, by far the best team they have to deal with. They've created an asset that is fantastic, and, and to be honest, they're just doing a good job with it so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, kind of funny. The person who actually sold me on the game was James White. So I went down to a tournament in Austin, which was a calling. <laughs> funny enough, because it was just a tournament back then. And I went to a subway with James White, and he sold me on his big, big wide plan for Flesh and Blood. And it was just so well thought out. I obviously, I love the game by that point. I've been playing like religiously in kitchen table with like my partner. But just seeing how passionate the guy behind everything was and seeing how well thought out, how much experience. And I don't know, it was really the kind of the play, like the mission they have behind this game is so solid. Um, and I think the gameplay hundred percent backs it up. So yeah. um, I definitely <laughs> think that it will be a long ride and I'm in for it. At a subway. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, it's hundred percent true. <laughs> so good. All right. Got some questions for, I guess, new players, Brendan. Then we've got one more section that we're going to move down to. Um, this, I guess this is, yeah, new players slash development is what, what I've coined the section. Um, and the first question um, comes from Brandon Alvarado, who says, love the content, guys. Keep it up. My question for you guys is, how does a beginner such as myself pick a deck to start their flesh and blood journey with? Um, this is, you know, a great question. I think um, I actually just, funnily enough, just wrote an article for Channel Fireball on this very topic about picking up your first deck for Classic Constructed or, or picking up a new deck for Classic Constructed. I think the best way to do it, to be honest, is to take a look at the hero pool, take a look at um, you know some of the, some content out there in terms of you know some of the the deck profiles people are, are writing up. Um, I think you know go have a look at this article I just put up. It gives you a bit of a, a description of what may appeal to you and, and why a deck might appeal to you, um, and then just you know make a decision based on that. If if it's and there's a few reasons you know if you want to be a competitive player, then you know look at the more competitive content. If you are happy to uh, just be enjoying the game for as much fun as you can extract out of it at armories and, and playing with friends etc then uh make your decision based on that but i think have a really clear idea of why you would want to play this game and then you can easily choose you know your first hero or or deck off the back of that 100 <laughs> percent. brendan just nods in agreement perfect all right we can move on <laughs> that's that's what i'm here for is just reinforce hayden's preachy i didn't know <laughs> As we all know. Um, all right, next question. Uh, this comes from James Neeson. Brendan, for a new player, how would you guys suggest going about improving your fundamentals? And then are there any specific heroes you think are better or worse to do that with? I think this is a really big question. And we've, we've talked about some, you know, some fundamental tips just before. So we might leave the fundamentals piece. Um, I would say in terms of fundamentals, we, we talk about this weekly in, in our, our podcast um, and sort of especially our Level Up podcast. So I think those are some good things to go back to if you're looking for some specific ideas around that. But, you know, in terms of maybe a hero that is better for learning fundamentals with Brennan, any thoughts? Yeah, I'm a little bit passionate about this one. Um, I lean towards what I, I don't know what we call the more complicated heroes, right? So I lean towards Kano being a deck that's going to actually teach you about flesh and blood. People will say, that doesn't teach you flesh and blood. It's so asymmetric and different. But really playing to your house and utilizing like all amount of information that you have is super important to playing this game. And Kano does that to the maximum extent. Um, and 
Tatum is all about playing both sides of the table. Um, a lot of control decks are too, but I think the biggest trap and the biggest um, issue, issue I see a lot of newer players that are starting to get better do is they only play one side of the table. They only play their deck, they only play their hand. They don't really you know, perceive very much outside of that. Um, so for me, I think Kano forces you to do something like that. And while Kano is an asymmetric deck and there won't be a lot of transferable skills from like, you know, hand to hand or card to card, what you're playing, the macro level concepts that it's teaching you and forcing you to do to even play that deck at like a basic level, right. To even be competent enough to win a couple games, um, like that will overflow to the other heroes. On the other hand, I think heroes like Dorinthia, um, at a base level, right. Dorinthia can get quite complicated, uh, but at a base level, Dorinthia will likely end up not teaching you very much at all about the game. Uh, if especially if you're playing like Blitz and you're kind of just jamming up, you know your your reactions and you're just trying to blow people out. So there are some decks that I am like not a fan of. Uh, main one would be Dorinthia. I think that, you know you can probably you can play a year on Dorinthia and you know, end up coming out of that year just being a very novice player. Where you know as on Kano, it's pretty much impossible. Because if you if you don't achieve any kind of proficiency of flesh and blood, you'll just lose literally every single game with Kano. I kind of agree and disagree because you can you you can just end up losing a bunch of games and, and not learn anything. I think it's more of a, a mentality and mindset thing, regardless of the deck you play. Um, to your point, you talk about playing both sides of the table. That is a huge one. If you come into the game actively trying to learn and thinking about these key fundamentals then you will learn no matter what deck you're on because you'll also learn things from what's happening on the other side of the table. So even if you're playing, you know, a Dorinthia or whatever, I actually think in, in that regard, I would, you know, I think decks like an Ira and Blitz or uh, maybe a Reinar or a Katsu Agro and Class Constructed are great decks to play because there's, you know, definitely some line decisions to play. The games will go for at least the mid game and you have some, some things to think about and lines to play and have to think about damage and pitching your decks. Um, but also they're not overly complicated so that you can still think about just key fundamentals. So I, I'm kind of on the, I guess, an opposite train where I think it's somewhere in the middle. And I think that almost any deck can teach you as long as you are focusing on the fundamentals. And those fundamentals will that are important will change depending on the deck. To your point about Kano, you know, um, I guess the reason that you, you know, one of the key reasons you think it's so important is because you do have to play both sides of the table, whereas other decks you can get away with not doing it. But in the end of the day, you're not really learning anyway if you're not trying to play both sides of the table and you're not following these key fundamentals. So I think it's more of a mindset thing. Mm -hmm. For just sure. To, just to, just to disagree with you there, Brennan, just to make a bit of discourse there. That's the thing. It's 2021, but it's still okay to disagree, uh, contrary to popular <laughs> belief. All right, Brennan, any questions you wanted to... Actually, just one more I wanted to talk about from, I guess, a new player development side, uh, just because I, I do think it is a, is a good question. Um, this comes from Caleb J, who says, I just started getting into Fab recently, and I love the show. Well, thank you. Um, that's not the reason I read this question, though. Uh, COVID has made it harder to get into, as I don't feel safe going to larger gatherings to play yet. How would you suggest a new player get their first games in while they're still going through lockdowns? Um, I think there is, you know, I have heard that we do have a number of, of listeners and, and um, viewers of, of our videos who are really just starting to get into the game. And a, a great thing, I guess, is if you aren't able to go to local game stores or go to local events, there's still an online uh, presence out there with events happening so there are still online armories happening there is communities on discord and on facebook who are actively playing online games and looking for other players to you know play online games um whether that be webcam or tts there is you know tabletop simulator on um on steam i think it is there is avenues for doing that so i think if you know you aren't able to get out to events you can still be playing flesh and blood and there is um there's some really great events and some really great people who are helping facilitate that yeah there is um, there's a player in North America, Davis Kingsley, 
who surely is one of the better players in North America and didn't play his first in-person event until like a couple weeks ago, played exclusively online. Um, and to add to that point as well, all of the best players I know that do not live in um, Australia or New Zealand got their play skill from playing online. So there's a ton of depth. There's a ton of uh, opportunity for like, you know, events to play in. Um, but yeah, it's a great place to start and also a great place to improve because if you, I don't know, if you're looking to be super competitive at the game, um, sometimes playing online is going to be the best way to do it. Not that not only as online armories, but connecting with other people around the world and jamming games. Cause sometimes your local meta, um, you know, can't really prepare you for, for the world, you know? Yep. yep. And there's some really awesome players out there and community members that will be more than happy to, you know, help you play your first few games. Um, there's no, you know, th- these players aren't expecting you know the best players in the world to rock up and, and give them games immediately so um there's definitely opportunity to do that i'm gonna hand it over to you brendan to take us into the the next section yes yeah, so there's going to be questions on competitive play this first one here is from kai yang he says how do you guys balance your job rest of fab testing on a daily your balance your job te- i guess fab testing on a daily basis to maintain a healthy me- mental state burnout has always been a concern for competitive events Especially with Hayden in lockdown, experiencing some problem, similar problems over here in Singapore. Yeah, Hayden, I'll let you take this one first. Yeah, I actually think, if you don't mind, the, the next question kind of rolls into this as well, which is um, from Adam, who says, um, you know, both of you guys have mentioned that you have careers and that you're both you're pursuing to a high degree. Uh, his question is, what do you guys do for a living, first of all, and how do you balance um, excelling in careers as well as playing the game at a high level? I think these are very you know similar questions that kind of roll in together. The the first thing I guess is. Um, how to balance it so schedule is really important so both me and brennan have schedules that we we stick to pretty rigidly um whether that's for me personally that also comes with my job um i'm a a buyer for a retail company so generally i travel a lot for work but i'm not right now um due to circumstances in australia that prevents me from you know traveling basically we're in lockdown um so i do have a little bit of extra time which is nice Uh, i do just work at home from home exclusively right now um but you know i do have you know, lots of meetings during the day and um you know obviously i have a lot of work to, to do and, and it's not actually unfortunately my job isn't just a sort of a, a nine to five um i do have a lot of uh, international calls and things like that that go outside of work hours and and some you know some times that i do have to do longer days of work but um i do also have a, a job that is kind of flexible as well which allows me to you know record a bit later into the morning and then start work a bit later or schedule my calls around um brendan's you know our time zone differences for doing testing and things like that so sticking to a really rigid schedule is, is probably important for us to, to make sure we get this testing in but we also yeah, i mean go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say we also um utilize the the most out of our time so whenever we sit down for testing like we're really focused in our testing uh we we you know we do two hours a day um we come in we know what we're going to test with the the sort of what we want to get out of it and then the rest of our testing and things like that just come from discussion during the week with with like the team um yeah anything you want to jump in i feel like there is i mean it's 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 a little it really just comes down to what hayden said so it's richest regiment to the extent to where it just becomes lifestyle um and we stick to that very 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 hard and i think that's what's allowed us to be successful to be honest uh, managing our careers and testing or trying to become better at the game is uh, generally not too challenging because, you know, you travel on the weekends for the tournaments, you wake up, you play two hours a day. For me, I wake up at 6.50 in the morning, immediately start playing. Uh, the thing that does 
make it hard for us is Arsenal pass plus career. So like that is what's <laughs> that's really where the you know most of the time comes in for us actually. Uh comes in with the content creation and things like that. But again, it's just regimented scheduling and making the most out of that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Brendan says that um the the editing takes a lot of time, right, Brendan? Yeah, I mean it's it's takes a long that's why I outsource it to uh to Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, like it is it is something that to be honest, um probably at the moment I spend more time on on what we do with um Arsenal Pass than, than our actual active testing um and playing. But that's because, you know, I'm not I'm not travelling to events right now, I'm not going to these events. So um it is a focus, it is something that we're looking to change in the future to give, I guess give us some a bit of time back. Um, you know, Kai asked about like burnout and things like that. It it is so true. Like that can happen so easily. Like you do have to be really careful and, and really on top of like your, you know, like your sleep and your eating and things like that. Because sometimes when we, we go to test, like we test late at night for me, uh, we don't finish till midnight. Um, if I have like an early meeting the next morning and I get like six hours sleep, like that's a bit, a bit shit to be honest. So I am really like mindful of my schedule in that degree as well. making sure that I don't, um, you know, pull three or four late nights in a row with early mornings to the point where it's going to start to burn me out. So I'm just really conscious of that. And you know what, um, Kai, in full solidarity with you in, in the lockdowns, it is tough. I think the best thing is to um, just have some things that, that occupy your time, uh, you know, maybe like playing games with, with friends, um, but also trying to do some socializing. I think that's been really important for me as well is still talk to friends and um, do do things that feel a little bit more normal, even if they're not normal, um, you know, like uh, try and organize a day or that's that would reflect almost something like you would do outside uh, like you know go to the movies or going on uh, walks at least you can do obviously you can't go to the movies but you can do you know movie day at home or whatever it is mm-hmm. so i'm gonna keep this super super brisk because it's gonna get really philosophical if i don't <laughs> but i find there to be some sort of meditative uh like positive effect from like extreme um like dedication to a schedule um so if it's flesh and blood, it could literally be anything or, you know, you set aside these couple hours for like deep work every morning, just doing that every single morning, no matter what, and not even having the consideration that could possibly be a different reality in the future where that doesn't happen. Um, like I find that to be like very, very positive on my mental state, which is weird, but I'm also kind of weird. Like I think like I just That's like true. suffering a little bit more than a normal person. <laughs> so, <laughs> burnout for me is like something that I like want to face and just like grind through it. I don't know. I'm just kind of a grinder when it comes down <laughs> to it. That's a different mentality. Yeah, look, I think it's like very, getting very philosophical and deep, but I think, you know, everyone's um, everyone's outlook on life is different. So, you know, if it doesn't fit in with how you want to have your outlook on life or it doesn't feel healthy for you, then, you know, certain things like yeah. um, competitive play and burnout are probably something you should, you know, avoid yeah, to a if degree. If you're a normal person, you should definitely try to have fun and surround yourself with good people. I have fun. And not, not annoying Australians. <laughs> I'm not Australian. <laughs> <laughs> all the same <laughs> uh all right uh, next question Brendan. yeah so this is from i think this might be closing in one one of our final ones so this is from mercurial 2304 um so do you think on a competitive letter level it is better to play all heroes to a reasonable extent to understand their inner workings or it is better to play your deck and know um every possible line for that archetype instead yeah. Um, so this is kind of goes back to an older question. So yes, my answer is that it is better to actually play every hero, but it's also to play every hero and know as much as possible all, all those heroes. So it's time dependent and all this stuff. But I think if you if you if you put them together and you assume infinite time and infinite resources, you're like, would it be better to play every hero or would it be better to just play one and be really good at the hero? 
it'd probably be better, objectively better to be better at everything other than just a special, there's a specialist. Cause there's a phrase, right? It's um, Jack of all trades, not, was it master of none? <laughs> but the phrase actually goes longer, right? The actual phrase is Jack of all trades, master of none is better than a master of one. So it's actually like, that's the actual phrase. And I think that that's you know, kind of reigns more. I didn't sure. know that. Interesting. Yeah, look, I, I, I'm going to give, the, this question is probably the question I've been asked the most um, in my time in Flesh and Blood by people is, is, is this question, is it better to uh, know all the heroes or better to just master one, as you say? And my answer is always the same, and it's it depends. And that's because it depends on what you want to get out of it. If you're just playing every hero uh, because you just want to know what they do, perfect. If you're actively trying to you know, win a competitive level event, it may well be better for you to play just one hero and master it but it also depends on the time you can commit the um, access to cards that you have um, there's so many things that come into it so it is a really difficult question to answer what i would say though is that it is important to know how every hero works in flesh and blood and what their game plans are and whether you learn that from playing them or whether you are capable of playing both sides of the table and understanding from games that you play and matchups that you play what your opponent's trying to do uh, whether it's from talking to friends and they tell you how these game plans and strategies enact, uh, whatever might work for you. But I think it is 100% important that if you want to play Flesh and Blood to to a good degree or to you know to a successful degree, if you do want to go and play Callings or Nationals or whatever, that you understand what at least the meta heroes do and what their strategies are. Yep, cool. agree. So <laughs> take us into uh, take us into our final questions, Aiden. Cool. Yeah, so the final question, Brennan, comes from our winner of the Cold Foil Anathos. So congratulations to Ryan Aldridge. Uh, Ryan, if you could ship us your shipping details, <laughs> just flick us an email uh, at arsenalpassfab.gmail.com at gmail.com and um, give us your shipping address. We'll, we'll get that out to you. Congratulations on the Cold Foil Anathos. But Ryan's question is, uh, what class do you want to see get some love in the next supplemental set? Um, Brendan, I thought this was a great question to, to just end on as well. So it ties in nicely as well. So, yeah, hundred percent. So for me, um, for me, it is, there's sort of a duality here. I personally want wizard. Well, I think that wizard is currently an incredibly powerful class and I love everything about it. Right. Um, I would love to see another wizard and I'd love to have more tools in my toolbox. Other than wizard, I do want to see ranger. I think that rangers, uh, I think the class design is fascinating. Um, just where it's kind of come up in terms of the meta, its current position, power level, all those things, it's fallen a bit short for me. So we have confirmed another ranger. So obviously that's nice, but I would, I'm excited to see that. I think that a new ranger is awesome. And I think that, you know, more development on my class is fantastic, but I am holding my breath and crossing my fingers for a wizard. Yep. So or, I mean, or a bard or a bard. Sorry. I like a bard would be cool. That's well. not supplemental. We're going to talk about I know, but like, I know, but like, come on, it'd be sick. It breaks the rules question. Um, Rules the question. I, I'm going to say, actually, funnily enough, uh, mechanologist, and there's there's a big reason for that. I don't want to see more, I guess, love to the traditional mechanologist uh, builds that we've seen so far. I would love to see some cards come out for mechanologists that help to adapt the way that mechanologist is currently played. I mean, obviously, Dash is our you know, okay, data doll, but Dash is our only <laughs> mechanologist right now, um, and especially for classic constructed. As much as maybe people want to play data doll and, and blitz, and, and good luck to them. Um, I would love to see it be a way that moves away from probably the the items to some degree, or at least these uh, these plans that basically make it so that playing dash in a way that gives you the opportunity to play a more controlling plan is always going to be uh, reasonable. 
Um, I would love to see some some cards that restrict that ability so that just playing a more boost oriented a more aggressive version of the deck um, would would just be really beneficial. So maybe something that uh, brings in plasma barrel shot as a as a weapon that is competitive would be great. So yeah. that's what oh, I would goodness. love to see from segment two because I love that class and I love that weapon. Yeah, Hayden just wants more aggro metas in the future. It's not even like degenerate. It's not even like aggro. Like I would just love to see. Because I think that's actually more around like five card turns and big big setups with something like a plasma barrel shot, um, because of what that does, you know. But if there was maybe something that allowed you to like I don't know double damage or it needs to be balanced, obviously. But um, I think there's some really cool design scope there with with that weapon in particular, but also you know cards like maximum velocity and um, maybe cards that, that have boost on them, but also uh, work in different ways to what we've seen so far with just a you know boost card that just gives dominate or just gives um, extra attack. Or whatever. I actually really like Combustible Courier and I really like Overblast. I think those are cool cards from um, from Crucible of War. So seeing some of these Crucible of War cards come into their own somewhere, I think it just needs a few more cards to be able to do that. Yeah, I just think you, you like your long barrels a little too much. You want to keep <laughs> I, taking this into an aggro format. I do like the Pleasant Barrel Shot. I would love to see it... Uh... Yeah, use them all. Cool. All right. <laughs> awesome. All right, Brendan. Well, uh, that is our mailbag. We had so many questions, so I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who did submit a question. We definitely didn't get through all of them. Um, me and Brendan are going to go away and work out how we want to, because uh, we would love to answer these questions. So some of them we might actually come back and directly answer on, on YouTube, um, but we might actually roll some of these questions into either time in the round or um, one of our other formats, because there's some there's some really awesome questions here. There's, there's full sections that we didn't even get to touch on, uh, but I just want to say thank you to everyone that submitted a question, and um, everyone was in, in the draw for that. That Cold Foil, Cold Foil Anathos, um, thank you again, uh, Ryan, congratulations. And we do have some of these, um, you know, we have this this kit from LSS, so we're just going to pick a, a couple of other um, random winners who submitted a question uh, to receive some extended art uh, foil predictions awesome and now back to the only job that i'm good at which is <laughs> shilling us on all of our social media so we are obviously also on youtube so this is our podcast um but we do have youtube content as well so if you're interested in deck text gameplay or our more free form kind of sub podcast time in the round go check us out on youtube we are arsenal space pass um, our YouTube channel has been absolutely exploding re- recently. It's like literally growing exponentially. Um, we reached a thousand subscribers last weekend and we're already climbing up to that, you know, 1.5, maybe 2K soon. So that's awesome. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, go check us out and choose subscription. It helps out a lot and has encouraged us to kind of take the channel to a new level. If you're on Twitter, me and Hayden, the boomers of Fab, have figured out how to use the the Twitter. So I am at the Fitty Shades, so T H E Fitty Shades, F I D D Y S H A D E S, like the softcore erotica novel. And Hayden is at Fiendale, so F Y E N underscore Dale, like Toma Fiendal. Um, so, sh- you know, check us out on there, engage with us, love it. Um, I tweet out all kinds of funny stuff, retweeted the MetaPie, and we got a lot, got a lot of engagement. I wasn't expecting, I got a ton of engagement on that. Um, and people were dogging on my girl Levia in the comments. But check us out on there. Um, and yeah, we'll be on Twitter, YouTube, and then obviously anywhere you get your pod. And lastly, we have just started up our Patreon. So if you want to really dig into the details, you know, finally get that that huge edge on your local meta or competing at these road to national events or even a calling. Um, we're going to have in-depth deck text, deck guides, sideboard guides, everything you need to level up your play to the highest level possible. And it's going to be exclusively on our Patreon um, alongside with you know our YouTube content, which we will continue. So that support will help us out a ton. So if you're interested in any of that, 
be sure to check it out. Um, we appreciate any support um, that you would send our way. But with that, that concludes episode 19 of Arsenal Pass, and we will see you all next week. See you later.